Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Chip Gabriel, Executive Chairman of Generations LLC, a Clackamas, Oregon-based senior living provider with 11 communities spread across five states. Like many other senior living providers, Generations LLC has taken a substantial hit to its occupancy rate as a result of the pandemic, while expenses continue to rise. But that hasn't shaken the company's faith and its plan to offer more intergenerational or middle market projects in the future. In fact, Generations believes these product types will become even bigger opportunities in the post-pandemic world as consumer preferences continue to evolve. But before we get to that interview, a word from our sponsor, Investors Bank. Where can senior living facilities turn for capital in these challenging times? Investors Bank has the expertise and the options you look for, like variable rate commercial lines of credit and term loans with flexible terms and competitive interest rates. Visit investorsbank.com backslash SLL. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. And now, here's my interview with Chip Gabriel, Executive Chairman of Generations LLC. Chip Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us on Transform today. I wanted to start our conversation looking back over the year 2020. What were some of the biggest challenges for Generations and what are you most proud of? You know, obviously COVID is the biggest, you know, can't everybody alive today has probably faced in each of our lifetimes. So that's been it, as we're trying to run our business, protect our residents, to protect our employees, their health and their well-being, and then continue as a viable business entity has been by far our biggest challenge. I guess I'm most proud of just the passion and dedication of our employees who show up for every day, show up for work every day, sacrificing their own families, their early on, their own health when we were struggling with, you know, the right amounts of personal protective equipment and those types of things, and yet... Um, their continued commitment and compassion and, and love that they share with our residents. And that continues on today. I'm by far most proud of that. When you talk about the challenge of remaining a viable business, maybe we could drill into some of the more specific challenges included in that. So as you look over this past year, I mean, I've talked with other providers who have said, you know, more or less that revenue is down because occupancy is down and there are many more new expense items to track, you know, things like PPE, which you just mentioned, sometimes hero pay or the cost of testing itself. So where have some of the pressure points been in terms of, you know, operational stuff over the past nine months or so? Sure. Obviously the census impact, uh, our portfolio, and we've got just under 2,400 units, IL, AL, memory care and skilled nursing across our portfolio. We're off the company wide about eight and a half percent since the first of March. So, you know, that's just top line revenue that, you know, there's no place to make that up. Expenses are still elevated. You know, hero pay is going on, personal protective equipment, testing, the inability to turn apartments and some of those other types of things that uh, your businesses can't, you know, truly function in a, in a clean, easy way anymore. Uh, that's continuing on. It's going to continue on, I think, for, you know, years to come. You know, we're, Redoing our insurance, we're seeing increases for liability insurance of 40% for next year. I think there'll be additional regulation and staffing requirements. And so that's going to continue to compress margins. And so for us, it's working with our partners, talking to our lenders, all those types of things to get to the light of the end of the tunnel and then, you know, understand what that new business model is going to be 
you know, I think the second half of 21 and then hopefully, you know, really start growing the business when we get into 22 and 23 to back to where we were at some point prior to this pandemic. Yeah. And I want to, I want to talk about some of that. Uh, you mentioned a lot of interesting things that I want to try to drill down into. Before that, though, I want to back up and talk about a success that I think Generations has had earlier this year. I remember mm-hmm. we wrote a story about senior living providers, which had had success in quote unquote, bubbling up some of their communities, meaning that basically, you know, during the pandemic, you had tried to limit the flow of people coming in and leaving the community to try to uh, beat uh, COVID-19 infections, you know, slow and spread those outbreaks. So tell me about some of the successes that you had doing that. And what do you think as you look into the future? Is this something that you just sort of have to have on the ready in case you need to do it again throughout this pandemic? You know, I think for us, as this has evolved and changed, you know, early on we had a number of employees who stayed in guest rooms, lived at the campus just to protect themselves and their families and really care for our, our residents at the same time. As this has gone on longer and longer, one of the things that we're dealing with is we all feel the fatigue of it. And, you know, one of our focus now is getting, in particular, our leadership away from the community, make time for themselves to recharge their batteries so you can think clearly, physically take good care of yourself and, you know, hopefully be prudent to protect yourself from, you know, getting infected out in your community and stuff like that. And, and, it, and it does happen. But I think for us, as it's shifted and evolved and just being nimble with that, but, you know, our biggest thing now is making sure our residents are getting the rest that they need to get rest. So we're, we still struggle with staffing in a lot of communities. So dealing with overtime, those issues. And, you know, if people do that continue over time, we don't think they're productive. And so people need to get you know, proper rest and get away from it and clear their mind and uh, get physically and mentally healthy to, to do the work that they need to do. Yeah. I've talked with so many providers who have said that the fatigue of the COVID-19 pandemic more than anything else is what they're worried about among their mm-hmm. workforce. So tell me a little bit about some of the more specific ways that you are working to come combat some of this COVID fatigue in your communities. You mentioned trying to get people away to, to give them time to recharge, but how do you accomplish that? You know, our home office, which we call our support office, being very purposeful with our leadership at each community to, we have a lot of bigger campuses where we have, you know, an executive director and then a director for assisted living for independently for memory care and making sure that they're cycling through to be, you know, getting that three or four day weekend, each of them covering each other's work and those types of things. So just emphasizing to them that they need to do that, knowing that this is not going to go away. We think we're going to be dealing with these issues through at least the first half of next year as we the vaccine goes out, uh, goes out and residents, employees, uh, hopefully all get vaccinated and have no side effects and those types of things. But it's just got to be that constant reminder and support that you need to take time for yourself. You can't keep doing this. Uh, we've had some leadership who, you know, during the pandemic who can't do it any longer and chosen to leave the industry. And I, it breaks my heart because they're good people. And, uh, and then you got someone, you got a replacement pandemic as well. But for some people, it's just been too much and they're leaving the industry. Are you hopeful that after this pandemic ends that these people might come back to the industry? Or do you think that like for some of these folks that just might be it? I think for some of these folks, that might be it. I think one of our you know, former employees, I think she was, you know, not that far away from retirement and her and her husband were able to be done. And so they chose, she'd, it was too much for her, just the stress of doing it. So she chose to, you know, leave the industry and retire early. And it saddens me. I know my guess is she's probably not coming back, but I think there'll be a lot of people as time goes on. It's just too much. And we'll lose some people in the industry. And 
I also think at time we might gain some people because we we have been needed. We stayed in business, and you know, at the end of the day, to me, it's incredibly rewarding work. It never feels work like me, but you know, we get paid to make people happy. It's been a challenge the last nine, ten months to do that, but or do it differently. I said, Shay, but but we will be able to uh, create those experiences for our residents and our employees very soon again once the vaccine comes and we can have our restaurants and dining rooms open. We can have our activities going. Uh, have people in our communities and the, the socialization and vibrancy, which is what I think makes our industry incredibly special as we, uh, you know, as we change and go forward with evolving models. Have you had any success with hiring from other industries such as hospitality during this pandemic? I've talked to some providers who have said that that has been a real source, a, a bright spot among, in terms of their hiring, but I'm curious to hear what you all have seen. You know, we have, we, at every one of our communities, we've had job fairs and continue to do job fairs. And we did have some success earlier on. It seems the ones that we've done more recently, we have not been as successful. I think those who have wanted to work are working, and those who are collecting unemployment are things we were not gathering as many of those as we did earlier on. But early on, we uh, did a lot of job fairs, made a lot of success with that. And, and a lot of those people are still working for us, and I think they'll stay in the industry. Great. I want to switch focus to talking about growth. I know that you and I, Chip, earlier this year had talked about, this was before the pandemic, we had discussed how Generations was planning to grow. Obviously, I'm sure that those plans are at least maybe seen through a different light now that that we have all of this disruption in this industry. But can you update us on what Generations has in its pipeline now, and then just generally how the pandemic has changed your thinking about the way the company's growing? You know, from a development pipeline, we have two large projects, one in uh, the Sacramento area, a uh, 365-unit campus that we're still going through the entitlements. We, you know, virtual planning commission, which has been interesting, and virtual neighborhood meetings and some of those types of things. We hope to, in a perfect school, break ground on that project this time next fall, and that's an ILAL memory care, really an intergenerational project. We're partnering with the K-12 school. Um, it's being built on their campus, and so programmatically, a lot of that's going on. And then we have another uh, over 300-unit project that we're going through, similar entitlements, which is probably a you know, realistically probably a 2022 or 23 project uh, in the Bay Area uh, that we're working on as well. Uh, again, also kind of an intergenerational type of community. And so we're still moving those. One of the challenges that we still see is you know construction costs have not gone at all. I've got a project in Southern California a 331-unit project that I've got building permits, and we've hit the pause button just because the construction costs to do the project, there's just not enough economic return to make it worth the risk of doing it. So we spent a lot of money to get you know full CDs and engineered plans and all that and, uh, and go through the city process, but we're having it, you know, for us, we've chosen to hit the pause button uh, versus building right now. I think we're still looking for opportunities. Um, I think there will be just as, you know, people struggle with their balance sheet. Obviously, everyone's census is hit. We're all down. So when we do get a vaccine, everyone's going to be struggling to fill up. And there's, you know, there's the economic pressures to do that, whether it's your debt or whatever your capital stack is uh, doing that. Everyone's got expectations and the business model is not the same it was as before the pandemic. I remember before the pandemic, when we had talked, Generations did see some opportunities in the turnaround market, you know, that is uh, mm -hmm. picking up communities that were distressed or needed some some work. It is, do you think that that will become an even greater opportunity as we look ahead post-pandemic and everyone's sort of seen these kinds of hardships? Or is that something that Generations is still interested in? It very much is, uh, Tim. We continue to see opportunities and look at them. I think for us, 
you know, recently we've been approached about some really intriguing opportunities to come in and help communities that are struggling. For us, we will probably go a little slower than what I might have, just because we want to make sure we're giving full attention to the communities that we operate for the ones that we own. We're a third-party operator. The other ones, and we want to make sure that we're able to effectively keep and grow our culture to maintain the culture of our support office, that we have the resources to do that. So if I think that's so we'll probably a little more discipline and opportunities just to make sure we're taking care of our own business, which can we need to regrow to get back to where it was, you know, pre-pandemic and all of our eyes are focused on that. In the last year, we, we've taken on six uh, new assets as a third-party manager. And while we've been able to change some of the culture and those types of things, we haven't been able to move the needle like we want to because of COVID. We, you can't physically visit. You can't, you know, have amenities, services, outside people coming in to impact, to, um, I mentioned sentience programming, and then, you know, to market the, the properties as well because, you know, it's just the world we're living in. And uh, so as we slide this in the back, so we're going to focus on what we currently have and uh, be smart about it. I know that we will in the next year to two to three years grow, but probably at a slower pace than we planned on just because we need to take care of our own business first. Yeah. What about uh, intergenerational projects or projects that are in mixed-use developments? I remember we had talked about those, and that was a previous focus of generations before. But now that we have a pandemic, are you are you still as bullish on these these kinds of projects? Uh, absolutely. I'm a firm believer that our residents want to feel like they're part of the community. Um, too often, I think our industry we've we've built these communities and we you know they're secure and we you know it's like we've got a moat around them. I still believe that's not what the consumer wants. I think our residents want to be a part of the community. They want to be around younger people, um, not just old people. That intergenerational socialization is huge. And so I'm, you know, incredibly bullish. I, I think the pandemic is, you know, we've dealt on a historical basis, whether it's been polio or other diseases. We've got through those, and we don't. I don't have a business model based on how I treat polio. I, I think a year or two from now, I'm not going to have a business model based on how I'm treating COVID. I think we will get through this if history repeats itself, which I think it does sometimes from a health standpoint. I think we will never forget this in my lifetime, but I think we will be chasing the same initiatives that we did in the past. And to me, looking at you know my mom, who's 81 years old, what she wants for a living is very different than her parents. And we need to evolve our business models to do that. And my mom, she lives you know a couple blocks away from one of my communities. With a lot of independent, you know, cottages, penthouses, those things, I can't get to move because that's where the old folks live. And so, I need to create new models that make someone like my mother want to live there. So she's not going to be just with old people. So I'm, I'm more bullish on it than I probably have ever been. That's interesting. I, I would think that a pandemic that is basically forcing everyone farther apart, you know, projects that are intergenerational, you want people to mingle together. So it's interesting that you that you are as bullish as ever uh, on that product type. But it, it makes sense. In terms of the what kind of senior housing you think works for this, have you changed your thinking on that at all? I've, you know, I ask this because I've talked to some providers who feel more strongly about things like active adult projects or you know lower acuity or higher acuity projects as a result of the pandemic. So, what's your thinking about the product type that might serve seniors best in the future? You know, I think what we're learning, especially in the pandemic, and we've used a lot, is telemedicine and. You know, we, I'm based in Portland, Oregon. We ha- have a, a large uh, med advantage population here. I think those types of healthcare delivery models are just going to continue to grow. 
And so how does healthcare come to the residents? And to do that cost effectively, you need scale. And so I think, you know, the intergenerational communities being outward focused, you know, I have at some of my campuses, large health clubs, pools, clinics. I think those are going to be not just for my residents who live there, but also for my employees, my employees' families, and those in the neighborhoods around me will be coming for therapy, for socialization, for education, all those determinants of health and wellness. My residents will have that, but as much as I can create experiences to bring outside people in to do that, I think the health plans will help as we partner and work with them. They will drive their membership to use my services in I really think that's the future, and that's where we're really positioning our business to try to be a part of that, to help people live, you know, live better, longer, to quote the blue zone kind of things. I think that's what we're going to try to do and, and do that in our communities across the spectrum from independent living, assisted living, memory care, and even our, our rehab centers. I know that Generations also has partnered with at least one health system. I think the mm-hmm. one out of Roseville, California, uh, Adventist Health West, I think is what it's called. That's correct. Um, so uh, tell me, how has your thinking changed regarding health system partnerships? You know, I've talked with some providers who have said that in the age of COVID, these have taken on a, a new importance and kind of what you have just said maybe sounds like it fits along with that theme. But how are you thinking about health system partnerships today? Yeah, and- we, we love them. Uh, Health Systems West uh, has been a fabulous partner. We've had multiple Zoom meetings with their senior leadership to talk about their business model and how it's evolving really to a population health management system and how critical our, our partnerships we can execute that as in, but even broaden it to do more so. They have a program that they're working on. You know, it's basically a hospital at home and which the telemedicine, it becomes highly effective in a retirement community. And so we're, as they're trying to roll that out, the discussion from them is like, how can we use one of our communities to be the beta test on that? So it's super exciting. Some of the initiatives that, as they see, you know, their 20, 30 model, how important seniors are a part of that and to do that. And I think for us, it's not just working with Adventist Health East West, but the markets that we're in, who are the healthcare providers there? What health plans do our residents have? And how do we collaborate together to do that? We're not looking to have our own, you know, MedAdvantage plan or ISNIP or those types of things like some of my friends are doing in business. I think for our model is more to how do we partner them and enhance what they're doing in a collaborative way versus competing with them. Along the same lines of what we talked about earlier with intergenerational communities, what about the middle market? It seems to me like a pandemic that is widening the gap between the haves and have-nots, so to speak, would make a middle market product maybe more attractive in the post-pandemic world. But what's your thinking on the middle market today, and how do you plan to, to play in that space in the future? Uh, middle market is mostly the, the the space that we've always operated in, and we're very comfortable with it. I think it's obviously there's more people in that space than the other. You know, we have lots of beautiful high end properties that take care of that niche, and then there's you know Section Eight housing, there's affordable housing, there's Medicaid waiver programs. There's all sorts of things for for the neediest people. The middle market is what we've got to figure out. We think it's very difficult today to build new construction hit the, the middle market. And so for us, looking at older assets, we're actually, you know, trying to buy one right now that is an older asset, lots of deferred maintenance and cap and capex. And so how do we reposition that to buy it buy it, rehab it, it's significantly less than replacement cost. And candidly, we're looking on the IL side of it and and the assisted living of that asset. How can we compete in the, you know, 
the three to $500 a month or less than the newer construction that's happened in the last five years in the marketplace. So we think if we can do that, we're really serving that middle market that's going to be needed. And then I also think the ability for us, I think at some point it's one of our goals. If I could offer, if I've got a, you know, a 300 unit campus and I've got several of those, if I could offer a health insurance or a med advantage plan as part of their rent and working with that health plan, if you combine housing and healthcare together and you'd have scale to do that, you know, if you have four or five members on the same health plan all at the same location, we could bend the cost of what those people, their health is. And that becomes very advantageous for a health plan. They want people that, you know, they would say they wish someone had eyes on their members every day, but we have eyes on their members every day. And so how do we partner that together? And can those health plans help drive not just for you know middle market housing, but middle market housing, healthcare, and a collaborative venture. And I think that's you know kind of going backwards. Working health plans. That's what we're trying to do is you know hit that middle market with you know really housing, healthcare, and lifestyle is what we're doing. Absolutely. I know everyone's focused on this vaccine and what next year might bring. I think it's still very early to see how how normal next year might be with the prospect of a vaccine, but at least I am hopeful. So do you have any thoughts on the prospect of the vaccine itself? And, and then also generally, you know, when you get it, uh, how you plan to distribute that among your associates and your residents? Sure. We're working with, you know, because we're in different markets, uh, we have different institutional pharmacies that we work with. Uh, we've been in close contact with them. And really, as they get access to it, and it's, you know, each state's going to have the ability to roll it. You know, CDC gave guidelines, but each state creates their own message. So obviously, each state is we're working with our pharmacies to do that. Uh, optimistic that first quarter, from what I've repeatedly heard at some level and from you know the, our various trade associations, that really by the end of March, all of our residents' employees should have that. And so we're optimistic that we, you know. If it was next week, I'd be thrilled and we'll do everything we can to make it as quick as possible and, and to coordinate that. But yeah, I don't really have any, it's really what I'm reading and hearing from the same, you know, periodicals and emails and Zooms that we're all listening together and just, you know, can be everything, be an advocate all that we can for our residents employees that they're early in the process. And then also to educate them to make sure they're comfortable doing it. And I think, you know, there's, there's lots of things we have to figure this out together and it, it seems like it's changing every week. I've heard a lot of chatter in the industry about whether we might see some pent up demand, you know, once once this vaccine is is with us and we have maybe some more normal operations that folks will finally say, "Okay, now I can I can move it, I can move my parent or I can move into senior living." Um so I wanted to ask you about that. Do you expect that once we have a vaccine or once we return to something a little bit more normal, do you expect to see pent up demand from prospective residents and their families? Yeah. I do see that. You know, we at our communities now we're starting to see a lot more traction from inquiries for assisted living and memory care, and I think that's people put that off because uh, they don't want to move their mom or dad in when they can't visit them. But at some point, it's it's hard work caring for someone who's got lots of needs with activities of daily living or cognitive issues, and they need to move in. So we're we're seeing that traction, and I, I think there's pin up demand. I just think we're We've cratered so much census-wise. It's going to take a while for us to to build it back up, and and I think it's just also how much people have aged. You know, looking at my resident population, um, even someone like my mother who lives alone, and watching her being somewhat isolated, not doing what she is, 
seeing what's going on with her, you know, physically and mentally, it's had an impact. She's aged more in the last nine months than she did the last several years. And so that's, you know, breaks my heart a little bit to watch that. And there's a lot of people like that. So there is some pent up demand. I think we'll, we'll sense that, but I think just across the board, we're down so much. It's going to take a while for us to get back to where we were before. Before the pandemic, we heard a lot about providers that, that, that had, you know, they were selling lifestyle and amenities and, and I think all that is still relevant, but do you sense that now that we've got this pandemic that has disrupted everyone's lives for almost a year now, do you sense that that prospective residents and their families might want something else or different out of senior living after all of this is is said and done? You know, I I think human nature doesn't change too much. I think as people still like socialization, like a sense of community, they like friends and having fun and doing those different things and those who like exercising and different things, they, they still want that. I think they're craving that. So I think in some ways we're able to provide that better than staying in your own home. So I, I think human nature hasn't changed. I think we're going to want that. And I think once we feel safe, I think we'll, you know, we'll do it on steroids uh, to get back and have as much fun because we will appreciate how good we had it before. I think they're going to want it more so in some ways because we'll be able to show how good we are and how much more they can do in, in some planned community that's hopefully intergenerational and part of the, the your neighborhood and community and not just a safe place for seniors to be. I think for us, I think that's what people really want is to have fun and enjoy their lives. And well, they've got time here and we can do that better than anyone else. Last question for you, Chip. We've talked a little bit about maybe what we might expect to see in 2021. I'm curious though, how is Generations preparing for next year? You know, for us, we you know been through the budgeting process the last you know month and got those out to our various partners and stuff for approval. We see, we think we're going to hit you know in December, hopefully the the low census wise, but we're planning a flat census for the first two quarters of next year. We don't see much growth. We think we'll you know we're still dealing with people moving out and deaths and not enough velocity to offset that on any meaningful way. We do think second quarter, uh, we will start making more traction, start growing the census into you know, 22 to get us back to really healthy. And so it's managed expenses, managing expectations. And I think for us is just to keep that culture of fun and enjoyment for uh, all we work with and our residents and to stay positive. It's been, you know, it's been hell this year. and in any way, shape, or form you want to look at it and to keep giving the hope that, you know, we cherish each and every day that we have. And I need to do that with the people I work with and the people who live with me and, you know, we learn from it and, you know, appreciate all the more that we're blessed to get out of bed every day and, uh, and do the things we want to do. And that's coming really soon. So I'm excited about the future and 2021 and the business side, it will take care of itself in time, but to not just focus on that, but you know, the holistic, what we're all about. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun next year. Good words to end on chip. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast transform today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That does it for this episode of transform. We would again like to thank our sponsor investors bank. Where can senior living facilities turn for capital in these challenging times? Investors Bank has the expertise and options you look for, like variable rate commercial lines of credit and term loans with flexible terms and competitive interest rates. Visit investorsbank.com backslash SLL 
member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.